This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Tanse, hello, and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette-Stonechild, and I'm very excited and honored to have my friend Adeline Bird here with me today. She's an Afro-Indigenous writer, director. She's a member of Treaty 4 Territory Rolling River First Nations. However, she was born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and she currently resides in Toronto. She's the host and the founder of the Soul Unexpected Podcast, and she's the author of the book, Be Unapologetic you a self-love guide for women of color i met adeline a couple years ago now on the set of cw and cbc's trickster and we have been friends ever since so without further ado adeline bird hi hi Tansay, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm very excited to have Adeline here with me today. I met Adeline, oh gosh, like a couple years ago, I feel like maybe, yeah, a couple years ago. Uh, She was on set for my brother's uh, CBC series, Trickster, and so there I was introduced to Adeline and her work, and I've been inspired and a fan ever since. So Adeline, hi, hi, thank you so much for being here. If you just want to introduce yourself, where you're from, it's all yours. Oh, thank you. Miigwech for having me, Shayla. Uh, So as Shayla mentioned, my name is Adeline Bird. I am Afro-Nishinaabe from Winnipeg, Manitoba, as I always say, the biggest urban reserve. Um, I am a proud member of Rolling River First Nations. And yeah, I grew up in Winnipeg uh, in the West End and have always basically loved media. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the hood, so I never had access to, like, we never went to the beach, you know? <laughs> we didn't have a car. We never went to cabins. Like, we didn't have that. So I spent a lot of my time on the weekends and when I had downtime listening to the radio, listening to cassettes, watching movies, you know what I mean? Like really just like delving into multimedia in every shape or form. Mm. And so um, I, interestingly enough, I found myself now doing the work that I'm doing uh, and I'm still, I'm still figuring that out. I'm still figuring out what that, what that looks like because I'm not really a fan of the structure of the current media system. Uh, So I, I'm not really working in it right now, um, but really trying to help I guess, guide the people working inside these spaces. But uh, yeah, I honestly just, it's where we're going in in the world is so fascinating. And I never would have imagined, if you would have told me last year, this time that Adeline, you're going to move to Toronto and you're going to go and just like do your thing out there, I would have been like, okay, yeah, right. You're going to get a dog. I would have been like, yeah, right. (laughs) Your dog is so cute. (laughs) My little, my Egan. It's like, it's literally the dog I want. Yeah, it looks like a little black bear. (laughs) How has this year been? I know we saw one another when you had just moved to Toronto, and I know you were contemplating the position at... uh, uh, what is it Sportsnet? I was about to say sports check but that is not it <laughs> Sportsnet. Um I remember the conversations we were having. And so how has the past year been despite like being in a pandemic and moving to Toronto? How are you? Um 
it's been weird, you know, like it's been weird. I'm sure you, you feel this, like having all this success in a pandemic and then also at the same time in the midst of all these big, huge movements, uh, you know, just how quickly the world is changing. It's like, I'm like really trying to figure out how to be humble in, in, in my success because I know that there's so much going on in the world. But I also I also want to celebrate myself. It's such a really messed up space to be in. And I'm like, what is this about? Like, what is this about? Like, there's so many Indigenous women, like, just taking off, you know, and doing so well right now. Books are selling, you know, you got your podcast. Um, there's just, oh, there's just so much really dope, people doing really interesting stuff out there, you know, reclaiming, claiming, whatever it may be. Um, but it's just, it's like this weird time, but there's all this sadness happening. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure this out basically. And um, mm -hmm. I, since I last seen you, things have been going really well. Things have been going really well. I kind of, I kind of have my hands in a lot of things, but I'm learning so much as I'm moving as I'm moving through the work that I'm doing. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. really about pulling other people up with me, you know? And because mm -hmm. um, I know there's so many talented uh, native producers. I'm now meeting more Afro-Indigenous filmmakers, you know, like there's, there's so much talent out there that I'm like, okay, I'm in these spaces, I'm in these places, you know, all it takes is a simple email and being like, hey, there's this guy who does this work out here, this, this, this uh, really cool Quay that does this work out here, like check check them out. Maybe you want to work with them in the future, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, there's so many things that are happening and there's so many things to celebrate, but at the same time, there's like a lot of grief happening within our communities and there's a lot of truths coming to the surface, not only in indigenous communities, but in Canada in general. And so I think the work that you're doing is so important and our voices have historically been missing from all these spaces uh, ever since Canada came into existence. And so why do you think um, indigenous voices and Afro-Indigenous Indigenous voices, like why is it so important that our stories be told and to be heard on a wider scale? Because we've been left out. Like it's it's incredible to me how good we are at this, you know, and and but yet we're always being shut down and our voices are being shut down, particularly mm -hmm. in, in the film in the film and television industry, um, at the at at the level that I'm that I'm I'm going at, um, we have been left out. And if you really take a good look at it, there could be a human rights lawsuit against this country for how the extent of how much they have left us out. And so, it is critical. It is at the point where if you don't do this, you're going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you don't listen, you're going to, you're going to get left behind. And what I mean by you're going to get left behind is you're not going to know what's going on. I, I feel like if you don't, if you don't know what's going on socially and politically, like how, how are you supposed to make decisions in your life? You know, mm -hmm. it's just anyways. It's a, it's a lot of bypassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
but yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that. I sometimes just go on tangents and then it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) It's all connected to one another, really. And I think our voices are often missing because Canada and the state would have to take accountability for their actions and the harm that has been done to our communities. And we have to understand that this conversation isn't about just history. This is an ongoing erasure of our voices and a genocide that's still happening here. Um, And so I know you work within uh, a little bit of the networks. For the listeners that are unaware of who you work with, could you just give a little bit of backstory? And also, do you see change happening within these networks? Um, so I have experience working with uh, broadcasters like CBC, uh, Bell, um, Sportsnet, um, and there's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of work to do. So what what I've been observing is last year with the murder of George Floyd, how quick the performative stuff started happening and how quick people were like, you know, ready to to create programs for BIPOC people and all this other stuff. We're going to start listening to the voices and yada, yada, yada. And then it all ended up being performative. There was mm-hmm. no real change happening. Uh, you look at you look at some of the rosters of the television shows that these broadcasters are 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 still bringing out, and like they're still majority white TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at some of the stuff that, you know, segments that some of these shows produce, they're only talking to white Canada. There's still this idea that we got to talk to white Canada and it's like, hello, you're missing out on a whole population and white Canada's getting this small just mm-hmm. for everybody to know <laughs> yeah. it's get, white Canada is becoming the minority, um, and might have always been, I don't know. Uh, but you know, we're out here and there's a, there's a generation that's coming behind me that is paying attention. And I always say that, I always say that, like, they're paying attention. They're looking at who was directing, who was behind these, these things. They're always looking. Why? Because they're looking for themselves Mm -hmm. and it's not just in front of the camera. It's behind everything. Like it's all it's, you know, you can't deny this change. And there are people who are still sitting in positions who are going to try to do whatever they can to make this, this whole thing pass. Mm. And look, it's, it's happened before. It's happened before where movements happen and it, and it, and it's a trend and everybody forgets about it. It's happened before, but there's something different about this time around Mm -hmm. because now we can't, it's on our phones. It's everywhere now. We can't run away from the truth. And that's what we all need to learn to exist in. Like the cognitive dissonance that so many of us live in, you know, where we're, where we think we can separate ourselves from certain things happening. Like I seen this, this, this elderly lady fall over and nobody went to go and help her. And it was like, everybody was just walking by her like, oh, well, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. Like, mm. what? So as soon as I went to go and help her, that's when everybody else started surrounding. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's, no, she fell right in front of you. In that moment, you should have picked her up. I shouldn't have had to run across the street mm-hmm. to help her. Literally. But that's that, that's that whole thing. It's like, 
well, it's none of my business, none of my business. No, take the time to care. Take the time to, what if that was your grandmother? What if that was your grandfather? Take the, mm-hmm. take the time to, to care. Um, and it's, and it's the same, it's the same thing for these, for these broadcasters mm-hmm. and, and media and, and film and television is take the time, take the time to listen, take the time to work. I don't know what it is, Shayla, but I swear as soon as my, my experience being in spaces where as soon as a native woman speaks, everybody just like, everybody just gets like scared and automatically shuts down yeah and it's it's that's how i felt you exactly you probably know (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's interesting because i don't know what it is like you're saying it's cognitive dissonance i feel like uh because we have been left out of these conversations so much it's almost like people think yeah like we're intimidating or like we hate everyone and it's just like no we just like haven't been a part of this and we just like want to be a part of the world like i'm not hating on you but the fact that you're treating me like this now like I don't know. It's making me feel weird now. (laughs) So I totally get what you're saying. Um, And I know you work like with the networks and writing. And for me, I cannot not look at some mainstream media as just like programming and conditioning. And because really it's running on the same like narratives and the same people are writing the same stuff. And so do you feel like there is a limit to what people can talk about when it comes to uh, these networks? Is there censorship that happens behind the scenes or are they giving you the tools um, for you to actually tell the truth? No, there's, of course there's censorship. There's absolute censorship. Um, and I mean, some people are able to be in spaces where they can, you know, speak that capital T truth, you know, it's not to say that they're, they're, it's not out there. Um, but there is absolute, uh, censorship. There is, uh, you know, I've been in, worked in spaces where, you know, I want to create a segment or I'm doing an interview and I've been told, well, as long as you don't talk about the police, Mm, mm-hmm. as long as you don't talk about the police it's like why would why would you even say that like and it would be interviews about my book which is about self-love like why would you just assume that i'm gonna do an interview about and and talk about the police like it's, mm. it's there of course there is a lot of censorship um and one of the things that i really i'm really understanding about this industry is that everything that we're getting is through the white lens everything Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of POC producers and people who work in these spaces, um, even even people like myself who have been mentored by white people, white men, white women. And so even our our training is still through the white lens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I'm learning what does what does the white gaze mean? What is there's this really dope book by Rebecca Carroll called Surviving the White Gaze. Everybody should read that book. She's she's biracial and she was raised by a white family. She was adopted adopted out by a white mother to a white family. And so she basically talks about how her whole life, the white people around her basically tried to take away her blackness in all these different weird ways shaped her. Mm. And so it's one of the things that I see in media. And I, I kept relating that to, to media. It's like, as soon as you go into something that is like inspirational for us or good for us, there almost seems to be like this, like, 
but we want to pull this back and like bring you back into your trauma. You know, it's like if you're going to if you're going to show our trauma, which is it, there's a lot of truth in that. Also show our joy. Exactly. You know, also show our joy because our joy is the truth, too, you know, and and show us and who we are like settlers have been here for so long that I'm here. You know, like, <laughs> like my dad um, came here to go to school in Brandon, Manitoba, and that's how he met my my mom. My dad's from uh, Tanzania, Africa. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that for that relationship. So, show showcase that we're also diverse within our own community. You know, and exactly what that looks like, what that relationship is like, because then you're keeping us in this like narrative that is like from the 1800s when we're Mm -hmm. we're here we're modern we're traditional we're you know we're black we're native we're this we're that like it's we're all these different all these different things yeah there's so many intersections to our identities within indigenous communities and knowing that there is still a lot that needs to be worked on even in our own indigenous communities around anti-blackness and like transphobia um what do you think like non-black natives need to start doing if you want to speak on that at all because there has been a lot of dialogue happening around the lack of afro-indigenous voices in these spaces Absolutely. And I am so glad. I'm almost 40. I have been waiting for this conversation, okay, my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just I'm just excited that we're we're starting this conversation and that this conversation is happening because what I've learned in my journey is where the change starts is through dialogue. And what I I guess what I would really I would want to say to our non-black relatives is existing in these, I've always, I've always been raised. So I grew up in a, like a big, huge Afro-Indigenous family. So there's, there's maybe 12 women in in the family. And then about six of them have kids with black men. Mm -hmm. And so there's like a big group of us who are, are half black. And then there's a, there's a big group of them that are like full-blooded native. And then there's like a group that's like uh, mixed with like Asian, Iraqi. There's some Middle Eastern in my family. Like there's, there's a rainbow. Like when (laughs) when, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit, but when uh, I always share this story, when, whenever we have uh, family barbecues in the summer and people walk by, they'll be like, is this a community barbecue? Because <laughs> our family just wasn't so diverse. You know what I mean? You're like, no, you're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're all here. Like, we're all here. And, you know, I, I always think about the Native moms raising Black children. And I, because I... I have such compassion for my mom, you know, Mm. because I can only imagine what it was like, first off, having this world that is just completely racist against you. And then you're also raising two black children and they, people, I can only imagine the look she's, she's gotten the things that were said to her, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I think about those women and I think it's important for our community to also think about those women and those men that are raising us. Mm -hmm. Right. You're, you're, you're basically saying to other community members that their children don't matter, that they're not native enough or that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's devastating. Um, 
I'm, I'm not a parent, but I, I know what it's like to care for, for children. And I can only imagine if I, if I went to my community and my community didn't accept my kids, like yeah. what? That's, yeah. that's not okay. That's not okay. I think it's a direct uh, reflection of like the effects of colonization, even within our own communities of yes. like when blood quantum came into existence and then like who's native enough and who's not. I know, um, yeah, people just getting questioning on that is just mind blowing because we're already dealing with so much racism in modern day society. And now we got to deal with it within our own communities where exactly. we should be accepted and loved and supported. Um, yeah. So I can, yeah. I can imagine the layers and you mentioned your mom and I think, you know, holding our mothers and our grandmothers and our matriarchs in really high regard and respect, if you could define, um, like this has been like, I feel like the foundation of a lot of indigenous communities is our matriarchs. And so I'm curious to know, how would you define the word matriarch and are there matriarchs that you are currently inspired by? Oh, every day, Shayla. Every day you see how great our, our community is. Like, oh my gosh, how could you not go on Instagram and not be inspired? <laughs> like it's, it's, oh, it's just, it's incredible. Um, but I, 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 I think about my mom and I think about my aunties um, and I think about the women in my community that, that have uplifted me and supported me in whatever it is that I like, even, even the, 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 the matriarch who, so I used to live in the West, the West end of Winnipeg. And if you walk down Sargent Avenue as a young girl back in the nineties, um, you would get harassed. Mm. And I remember as a kid, it was always native women and black women that were like, leave that young girl alone. She's just trying to go to school. You know? So I always, I always think about those women, you know, yeah. like the women who are just like, that knew, okay, that's a young girl, like leave her the hell alone. And you know, mm -hmm. mama buried me while I'm trying to get my butt to school. Like those are, those, those are the women that I, that I think about. Yeah, we definitely need all of those <laughs> women in our life protecting us. And you mentioned um, at the beginning, you know, you grew up in Winnipeg. What was that experience like for you? Because Winnipeg is like the most racist uh, city in Canada, isn't it? To indigenous people? Um, I would say the prairies in general is pretty, is pretty racist. Mm. It's, um, ugh, the prairies is bad. It's, uh, it's, I don't even, I'm still trying to figure out how to understand this. And I feel like through, through my artwork, I'll be able to like, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. but growing up, I, it was always, there was always something going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I always remember there was like, there was like the, the, the Vietnamese community over there. And then you had the native community over here. And like, and then like within our community, there was like these brothers that lived in this house and you kind of knew where everybody, everybody lived. That's why I call it like, that's why we call it a big urban reserve. Like you just, mm. like, I just, you know, you know, which shortcuts you can go through, you know, you know, um, Dan's over there drinking and he's probably, I don't know, doing some weird shit. And then there's the guy over there with the cut off tongue with his, you know, his homeless cart. Like it's such a, it's such a very, uh, interesting place. And there's so much story there mm -hmm. that the rest of this, the rest of this country hasn't seen or heard. Um, 
it's crazy, but it's it's beautiful. Uh, it's racist, but it's beautiful. The community over there, like the activism, the protests. Oh man, like I that's probably the one thing I miss being away from home is is the is the community. It's a it's such a it's such a beautiful place. It's besides all the stuff that happened. Yeah, yeah, because. I've only visited like a couple times and yeah, I remember a native person like being called out of the bay while I was in there. He was like getting rushed out or something. And I just experienced like, even in that just blimp of a moment, uh, racism within mm -hmm. that city. But I also realized that there is a lot of community and support and activism happening there. Yeah. Um, and it brings me up to this idea of like, indigenous futurism like can we imagine our lives outside of these colonial systems or outside of what we have known to be like racist our entire life when you think of indigenous futurism or afro-indigenous futurism what do you how do you want the future to look oh, i love futurism i like futurism all day every day um it looks like land back um it looks like settler Canada building relations with us, like actual genuine relations with us. Um, moving here, I'm like taking a good look at like the city and the way it's structured. But there's like a lot of different like places, like you have Jamaica Town, you have Chinatown, um, Little Italy, and I, I think what relations have, have these communities built with our communities, you know? Like, I don't know, cause I don't live here, you know? But these are just, these are just questions, questions that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what, does, what, does, what does building those relationships with us look like? Uh, and what does that mean? Um, it also looks like giving us the resources and space to do what we need to do as a community to basically restore what's been taken and ruined and mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's i again i'm thinking about toronto like i love this city but it's very concrete uh and i'm i feel sorry for people especially if they don't get to go out into the, like nature and stuff like that and this is yeah all, they're around all day every day they haven't sat by a fire ever in their life they haven't ever put their feet on like, you know, beautiful soil. Like, I'm like, you're missing out. You don't even know you're missing out. And so I really hope, and especially after COVID that we start to learn to go back to the land, mm -hmm. that we start to develop a relationship with the land um, mm -hmm. and a healthy relationship with the land mm -hmm. that's so essential exactly exactly and also futurism looks like letting people like myself create all the tv shows and <laughs> whatever it is that they want seriously <laughs> the stories i would maybe watch start watching tv more and netflix See? and like actually download mm -hmm. a series for once <laughs> I, I, hope, actually... I hope the streamers are listening <laughs> right well that brings me up to like another um point to touch on is like do you think we can actually like decolonize a colonial system or should we just be building our own because you mentioned like if you have power and privilege sometimes we just need the resources to like create our own so do you think it's essential possible to decolonize something that is a colonial entity i don't know i honestly <laughs> there was an energy in me last year that felt like there was a possibility of that happening but 
just watching the way people respond and people like, okay, so I'm, I'm literally watching every, the way people responded after the murder of George Floyd respond to the, um, the unmarked concentration graves. Um, it's, it's interesting. And I'm like, okay, so we're here again, you know, like it's all of a sudden people get performative. People want to commodify like, Black and Indigenous trauma is a commodification to the rest of the world. It's it's insane to me. So I've I've just over the weekend I was actually I, that's when I started to like really sit and process everything because it's interesting because during the week you know it's almost like we're asked to process things the way society is moving and it takes me days to really process things and by Sunday I found myself just angry and I was like everybody's just reacting. Everybody's being performative. You see people who I know have never worked in the community or have ever done anything to the, for the community selling orange shirts. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> it goes a lot deeper than that. I know there's a lot of conversations on like cancel Canada day. And I'm like, well, I haven't been celebrating for years, first of all. And like, yeah, it's going to take right? a lot more. <laughs> it's going to take a lot more than canceling one day. Like it's pretty much like the entire foundation that Canada has built been built upon. And even I have been saying like, yes and no to like a few interviews. And it's just like, Indigenous people have been educating for the longest time. If you mm -hmm. want resources, they are already out there. I yeah. mean, at what point is it like, do we stop? Um, like history is important, obviously, but at what point do we start um, like fixing the problems and all the, all the problems that we keep talking about? Like everyone's just talking with no real action, I find. Yeah, and it's all very, there's a lot of history-based conversation and it's like, no, I'm right here in front of you. <laughs> I'm alive. Hello. Yeah. You know, like I'm right here. And I think um, even the talk around like genocide, like people fail to recognize like this is something that's still happening in Canada. This isn't a thing of just the past. Like our communities lack clean drinking water, the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in two spirit crisis. Like this is an ongoing thing. And so at what time do we start to like actually do something about it? And so I'm interested to know like your perspective of what do you think non-Indigenous people have to do in order to actually start to seek change here in Canada? I think they have to get real about their racism. And that's just, that's not just, that's not just white Canada. That's mm -hmm. um, other settler Canada too. I've been in spaces, you know, so many spaces where people don't know I'm native mm. and will say some racist shit and I have to like, excuse you, you know, and it can get, it can get really ugly, you know? And I remember I met a, an elderly black man and he, if in, in the neighborhood, I always used to see him around in the West End of, of Winnipeg. And I finally one day just sat with him. And mm -hmm. He said to me, he's like, you know, Adeline, <clears throat> you don't know what our government is saying to these people when they're when they're in these workshops because i guess when when immigrants come here they got to go through these like workshops or whatever he's like you don't know what they're what they're telling those people um and i interviewed a young woman when i was podcasting and she was telling me a young jamaican woman she's telling me how uh when her mom immigrated here back in the 70s she was basically told that if a native person comes up to your car and says this is their this is their land don't believe them mm. so like 
there's such a deep, deep embedded, do you know what I mean? It's so deep in all of us, all of us. It's important that everybody check their anti-indigeneity, check it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's in everybody, it's in everybody. It's just like anti-blackness, right? It's in everybody, it comes out. We have all been existing with these lenses. You know what I mean? We've been all in these, we've been in these, we've been programmed by by so much, so much. And it's okay to be like, yo, I don't know. Yeah, okay, I, that was racist. Okay, oh damn, I I messed up. You know, let's let's move forward. That's the, that's the only way. It's it's sort of like I remember I had somebody say to me, "Well, I don't understand why I have to say why I have to say LGBTQ two spirit. That's long. I don't. Why do I have to say that?" And it's like, well, this is what this particular community is asking of you. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is just do it. Just do it. It's out of respect. If you have to say they, if you have to ask someone their pronoun, do it. You know, exactly. like so if our community is out here saying, listen, check your check your racism, just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I know. Um, I was listening to this one girl talk. Her name's Maryam Hasna, and she says, like, what's happening in humanity right now is there's this call to righteousness. This is their call to always feeling right. And it's like about your ego. And it's just like sometimes we need to let that down and like be open to unlearning and listening and dismantling, like you're saying, the colonial programming and conditioning that we have been habitually running on uh for decades. And so I know that you do a lot of work taking up space and using your voice in these spaces. And I want to know, like, when you are feeling, you know, overwhelmed or lethargic or, you know, just depleted, what are ways that you reclaim your power and stand in your truth and your authenticity? Well, I used to go to ceremony in Palo, um, but I don't anymore. Uh, well, not anymore, but, you know, since since COVID. But hopefully I'll, I'll be able to go to ceremony this summer in August. Um but outside of that, because, you know, I'm in a modern world, I'm a modern girl. Uh, I do yoga. I meditate. Like, I I, I wish more people would meditate. Um, I do a lot of prayer. Uh, I have a really amazing support group of uh, Indigenous film cousins, we call, it, we call each other. Um, and so when big things happen within the industry you know we come together and just talk about it and Mm. you know talk about the things that are bothering us and i don't know i i i don't think i've ever had like the the sort of spaces i have since covid hit like i have some really Mm. amazing spaces people have really come together that's awesome that you have a support system that you can rely on even just to get like feedback i feel like sometimes it feels like we're going at this alone but having that support system is like so essential to like your mental health and your mental well-being and what would your advice be for like the younger generation out there who maybe is scared to use their voice or doesn't know where to begin to start writing or producing or directing um my advice would be to try everything you know like if you want to use your voice to paint if that's like a, a outlet you you want to explore, explore it. If you want to start a podcast, do that. If you want to produce an online book or whatever it is, like there's so many outlets. Like 
one of the things I, I used to find people would always say to me, well, I don't know what you do. I don't even understand what you're doing. I don't get what you're, what you do. And it's, and it's like, I'm just trying to figure this out. There's no one way of doing this, mm. you know, not, not just filmmaking, not just producing. I'm talking about life. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's yeah. no one way to do life. I would have never thought I would gone from podcasting to working in radio to working in TV. Like I never would have, I would have never thought that. But what, what ended up happening was all of my skills, even I'm, I'm a social worker, academically, I'm a social worker. So I've spent years working in social services and advocating. So that's where my, my advocacy part comes from. Mm. But all these skills, eventually everything that you start to collect as you go along will all start to intertwine and make sense. Cause you're not doing this for nothing. We're not here for nothing. Totally. Like, totally. We're not just born to pay bills and you know what I mean? Like we're born to do things. And as, especially as Anishinaabe people, we are manifestors, mm -hmm. you know, like traditionally, spiritually we're we're manifestors. We're here to create, we're here to, to do, you know, and, and it's something, you know, some people are like, yeah, I started beating and I, I just was so good at it. I don't understand why I'm just naturally good at it. It's like, well, it's in your DNA, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was just talking to Monday. Do you know Monday? Yes. Uh, yes. She is dropping an Afro indigenous line. She said, yeah, like it wasn't my intention to become a beater. I'm like, well, you just dropped the whole line. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Just allow yourself to go. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah. Cause you have done so much. I know you have also written a book. Yes. Um, could you mention to, listeners a little bit about your book i know we haven't touched on that yet and i'm curious to know about the process and the commitment that it took to writing that book and then having it in isn't it in walmart or somewhere in the states so <laughs> it's doing states. really well in the states Sweet. um <laughs> it's so funny because i wrote that book back in 2016 i think or yeah i a long time ago and it was selling you know small small bits and then COVID hit and then all of a sudden the sales started going, going up. But what's so interesting about that particular book is I read it, I wrote it in a time when, um, when the murder of, um, of, uh, what's his name? I can see him in my brain with the black hoodie. I, uh, I, I'm blanking, but I think I know who you're talking about. That sucks that I can't remember. Um, but it was during that time when there was like a, a bunch of, a bunch of shootings and the murder of Tina Fontaine, there was all this stuff happening. And I'm very much a person who, like when things like that happen in the world, like even even when the, like the first announcement of the, the 215, like my brain, like I go into this like space of like sadness, I need to process this. And then like this, like, okay, what can I do? What, like, mm -hmm. what, how do I, how do I utilize all this information to create change and do it, the work that I need to do? How do I place this into the stories I'm, I'm trying to tell, you know, like there's this other side of me. And so when all this stuff was happening, it was like every single day I was logging onto my Facebook and somebody was going missing. Somebody was being found. Someone was being shot by the police on Facebook, like just ridiculous, like just crazy. Like it was, 
I remember just like, I didn't want to log on to Facebook because it was like, what the hell is next? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, what is, what is the one thing that has helped me? And that's finding self-love and learning to love myself. And it, it changes, you know, every, every time I get older, like one of the things I wish I wrote or I would have wrote about in that book is how self-love transforms into community love, you know? Mm. Um, And I also, and I also use the word woman of color, which we've now evolved from, right? Like, not everybody identifies as a woman of color, you know? So there's all this stuff that, that when I look at that book, I'm like, holy crap, we've, we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really, I wrote that book just because I wanted to, I just wanted to create something good for the world. Like that's all I, that was all my intention. Yeah. And I remember when I, when I first started writing it and I was sharing it, oh my God, people were like, oh, why are you writing a book for women of color? Don't you know white women follow you too? And I'm like, this is why we can't have anything for for ourselves because every single time. And so making sure that like it said women of color and having my black face on the, on the cover was really important. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's really, really important. (laughs) Well, and I think like self love as like a person of color is like a radical act in itself because we have been told that we are unlovable and that we're not worthy and that we don't deserve to be in this space. And um, so it's a radical act itself, like self-love. And like you're saying, it ties back into kinship and it ties back to our communities, which I think is essential right now. And so my next question is, when are you dropping your next book? (laughs) (laughs) I hope, I hope soon. Shayla, I hope soon. You know what? I'm, I, I really hope that I can build myself to a point where I can just produce my books on my own. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like do just sort of do things myself. I'm done trying to collaborate with, um, with, you know, publications and stuff like that. Like I would, I would love to get to a place where I can even have my own publication company and then start um, producing books for other people, maybe other Afro-Indigenous kin, other Indigenous kin, who, whoever, you know, has a really dope story and wants to write a book. Like, I I really, I'm trying to build my own little empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, build that legacy. I'm build my own little empire so that I can, I can just do this, you know, um, and just create my own stuff without having to sit in meetings with people and explain yeah. things to people. Waiting it's, for it. Yeah, it's getting tiring. It's like really, you. I don't, I don't, I don't get how I have to. Like, I'm again. I'm gonna say this again. I'm almost forty, and I still have to like prove myself. Are you kidding me? Like, mm. no, I've been here long enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I really gotta read that book, The White Gaze, because I feel like that's constantly why we're having to prove ourselves. Yes, is for the white, the white gaze. gaze. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I definitely gotta read that book. Um, but not to get off track, but um. For the rest of 2021, I know you have your um, hands in many projects. What do you have on the horizon for 2021? Well, I haven't even like made this public because I just had this meeting before coming on this podcast. Uh, But um, myself, Amber Daniels and Asia Youngman um, just got a half hour dramedy in development with Amazon called the audacity. Yay! That's so <laughs> exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So it's a um, a half hour series um, around four indigenous women navigating um, 
urban life. Uh, we have one character who just moves to the city from the res for the first time and is going to cosmetology. And uh, there's another another indigenous woman um, character who is a successful producer and a broadcaster. Um, so they're all like, you know, women like ourselves with careers, you know, just navigating what we navigate basically. And so <laughs> I'm really excited because um, this, I'm one of the things I've been really trying to push is seeing Afro-Indigenous on television and our na our narrative on television. Mm. And so uh, we have a a few Afro-Indigenous characters Sweet. who um, I'm excited to, you know, put out there. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited. I'm just really excited for Indian country and I'm excited to uh, be a part of this with this project with uh, Amber Daniels, who's a, freaking amazing uh indigenous tv writer and uh asia youngman who is an amazing and i'm not just saying this because they're my friends and i'm partners with them they <laughs> actually are you can check them out uh asia youngman who's a director um super brilliant women like yeah yeah so that's exciting it's about time too right and it's a comedy that's, <laughs> that's the best part is it it's a comedy we need more of that we're like we're just naturally funny i i interviewed uh jenna schmiding from uh brothers ford falls last week friday and um she's the uh the main character from brothers ford falls and she was telling me how she's like this is my first time doing any of this she's like i don't have any experience being a tv writer or mm. acting on screen like this like this is all new to me and she's like um you know i never i never was around comedy as a kid but the women around me were funny yeah. and it's like it's true like yeah, yeah i don't think i'm funny but i know the women around me are hella funny. <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking forward to seeing it we definitely need more joy and like comedies in our life literally yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> where can uh where can people support your work moving forward and your handles and everything that you've got going on um well i honestly instagram and facebook I have a website, but I'm still working on it. Um, if you just connect with me on uh, Instagram, that's usually where I try to keep up with things um, at Adeline underscore bird. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. I hope to soon, I don't know, I don't know. I need to I need to be a little bit more active on social media. I just, I'm just like, I don't know how. What am I gonna <laughs> post that I'm writing? <laughs> that I'm in another meeting. Yeah, <laughs> just your rant of the day. <laughs> Story time, maybe some comedy. You can get the, the comedy going. <laughs> Unfiltered. Start going from the, yeah, right? <laughs> and, and your book, where can people buy your book? Oh, it's available on Amazon uh, in Canada. And I think that's it in Canada. And in the United States, uh, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, and uh, Amazon. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you. Hi, hi, so much for being here, for sharing your story, for sharing your wisdom. I can't wait thank to you see for having me. You, what you get up to. Uh, and yeah, make sure you follow Adeline. Thank you. Thank you, Shayla. Keep up the amazing work. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm.